Hey everyone, it's Dr. Tim and Hillary for another session of Dr. Tim's Aquatics podcast. Questions and answers from the mailbox. How you doing this morning, Hillary? Doing good. We got a lot of questions today. All right. Well, let's jump right in then. Okay. So this first one, how long is EcoBalance good for? I want to buy a large bottle and I don't want it to go bad before I'm able to use it. Uh, EcoBalance, waste away, clear up. All these heterotrophic bacterial mixtures are good for several years, at least three years. Uh, your nose will tell you if it goes bad. <laughs> if you open it up and it smells like rotten eggs, you know, just knocks you down. Do not put that in your tank. Uh, some people also want to know if they should refrigerate it. And really, that's not necessary. I wouldn't keep it outside in the nice, hot, uh, hot Las Vegas sun in the summertime. Um, but uh, just room temperature in the dark um, is fine. But three to five years is the answer. Yep. All right. And, and, you know, I think it's funny. I think I saw a question or a post, a couple of posts that went along with this buying stuff in bulk. So, yes, this is definitely one. As long as you use, you use it regularly, you could buy it in bulk. And there's this wives tale of, you know, once you open it up, it starts some clock and that's all bunk. Um, you, you know, you, it doesn't matter when you open it up. If you open it up, don't open it up. How many times you open it up? Just don't add anything else to it. Don't contaminate it. But opening the uh, cap doesn't start or stop any process. And something you said made me think of a question that we've gotten in the past that I'll go ahead and touch on is leave it in the container that it came in. We don't recommend putting it in another separate container. No, no. All right. Question number two. I recently added two ounces of one and only to a 23 gallon frag tank, and I didn't realize until the next day that my selenium was way off 1.005. So I quickly mixed some more water and then I put too much salt and my salinity was too high. 1.031. I've now corrected the issue and my salinity is sitting at 1.026. I'm seeing this very thin brown film on the bottom of the tank. It's a bare bottom and I don't know if it is the bacteria I killed off or it's the residue from the few rocks that I have in there. Did I kill off the nitrifying bacteria due to the huge salinity swing in the span of 24 hours? Uh, probably did not kill the bacteria. The brown is, is the residue of your rock, your old rock that you used. Um, especially the marine bacteria are pretty hardy in terms of being able to take big salinity swings. And it won't kill them unless you put them... And I, th I don't know if you have this as a question, but I thought I saw somebody say, oh, yeah, I'm going to, you know, put all, put RO up, put the bacteria in RODI water. You don't want to do that. Somebody was going to do something with the bacteria in RODI water. As long as your tank is an RODI, then you're OK. The bacteria can't live in uh, pure, pure, you know, water with no minerals. But if salinity swings, the saltwater bacteria can take that just fine. Freshwater bacteria, not so well. But it's not going to kill them. It's just going to slow them down. But you're fine. All right. Good to know. I put my all-in-one in five days ago to a new tank. Nitrite is at zero and ammonia is at three. I'm dosing with your ammonia. 
My question is, when do I put the filter socks back in? 48 hours. So we need, before you put the bacteria in, you remove the filter socks, turn off the UV, turn off the ozone, turn off uh, the protein skimmer for 48 hours. Then, you know, add the bacteria, 48 hours, turn, it, turn everything back on. The bacteria should have settled. Now, a lot of people confuse this and they leave the filter off and all water pumps for 48 hours. Or they take the sponges, the blue fuzzy pads, the media out for 48 hours. No, don't do that. The only things we try to be very specific Filter socks. Why? Because we grow the nitrifying bacteria, the one and only, on a small particle that will be trapped in that filter sock. And you don't want the bacteria trapped in the filter sock because chances are quite high at some point you're going to remove and wash that filter sock. So you just got rid of all your bacteria. Uh, skimmers are really good at removing bacteria. So we don't want that in for 48 hours. And then ozone and UV are designed to kill bacteria. So we want those off for 48 hours. Everything else, filter media, power heads, uh, wave makers, filters, you need water flow. That way the bacteria are being carried off into the, some media. They have to have a media to grow on. And then fresh water with lots of oxygen is being brought through that media and in contact with the bacteria so they can do their job. Do not just run a static, no movement, no water flow, no aeration tank. That isn't going to do anything. Good advice. Okay, this next question is kind of long, so I'll break it up into two parts. I've been using EcoBalance and WasteAway, not on the same day, a couple days apart. I was dosing WasteAway directly after a water change and EcoBalance a couple of days later. After watching your last YouTube video, it seemed like you wanted waste away dosed weekly and a couple of days after a water change. So I stopped EcoBalance, aka I ran out, and started waste away a couple of days after my water change. Is this the right approach? Well, there's no real wrong approach. Um, what you don't want to do is add either waste away or clear up. Not not clear. Sorry. You don't want to add waste away or equal balance on the same day you've done a water change. The reason being is that when you've done a water change, more than likely you've stirred up things, you've disturbed the whatever substrate you have, and that has the potential for releasing nutrients. And if you've put a bunch of bacteria in the system by pouring in waste away or equal balance, there's a slight chance of having a bacterial bloom. So that's why, and, and then we also recommend when you're doing these water changes that you're using the first defense to treat the water and condition, you know, condition it. And that has nutrients, i.e. the vitamins in it, that could also cause a bacterial bloom because they would be, those vitamins would be food for the bacteria and waste away or equal balance. So, don't add waste away equal balance on the day you do a water change. What you can add is first defense to get rid of any chlorine or chloramine and also condition the water. If you've done a big cleaning, really cleaned 
uh, the uh, sides of the tank, rinse the filter pad, sponge, whatever your biomedia is, just, you know, siphon clean the substrate. It is fine to add the one and only because they're autotrophs. Uh, that means uh, they, they're going to grow very, very slow. So the chances of a bacterial bloom from the one and only is pretty much zero. And it's okay to add the clear-up bacteria because those are a different type of bacteria that they're like a flocculant. And uh, they're fine if you're finding that the water is just not as clear as you want you can add the clear up bacteria after a water change. But for the waste away and eco balance, wait at least two days. And usually we recommend waste away because it has more uh, diversity of bacteria, does more things. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and how often? Weekly, every other week? Really depends upon the bio load. You know, if you are feeding a lot and you've got a lot of waste in there, a lot of nutrients, you're going to want to add the waste away more often. So let's just say you do and you're adding waste away weekly. What I would recommend is one out of four weeks, add the equal balance instead of the waste away. Or wait two or three days after adding waste away to equal to add the equal balance. Don't add equal balance and waste away on the same day unless you cut the amounts that you're adding way down. Because again, if you add too much bacteria, you run the risk of having a bacterial bloom where they grow out of control and we suck all the oxygen out of the water and then your fish and your corals will, will uh, suffer. So it's always better to add small amounts more frequently of our waste away and equal balance rather than just pouring a bunch in and definitely don't pour a bunch of both in at the same time or on the same day. Nope, definitely don't do that. No. So the second part of this question, um, you featured one of my questions, the last Q&A, um, and you were curious about what I'm fighting. So I think this was the question last time about... They had listened to the podcast while they were cleaning and they were, I think we were talking about the blue lights. Um, so this person says that he's fighting or he or she is fighting hair algae cyano and a case of the uglies that I believe you referred to as um, vibros. Last night uh, was my night to dose waste away. And this morning I have a very similar whitish slime that I had when dosing no pox a while back. I'm assuming it's a bacterial bloom. Should I be worried about this and stop dosing? I wouldn't be dosing a fuel type uh, liquid like Nopox. Uh, that white stringy bacterial film is probably sulfur reducing bacteria. And you don't really want to promote that because that produce can produce hydrogen sulfide. They're reducing sulfur uh, and uh, that means they're creating hydrogen sulfide or can if the system goes anoxic. I would siphon out as much as you can of that material. Consider cleaning, you know, siphoning the substrate. Um, and chances are it would be interesting if I'm right, but chances are high that your substrate is deeper or thicker than one inch. Um, 
And that's why you're getting this anoxic growth of these hydrogen sulfide bacteria or, or, or um, sulfate-reducing bacteria, which grow in this white stringy biofilm. Um, I would continue to dose the waste away, but you've got to get the system cleaned up. There's chances are high. There's a lot of organics in that or something that's, that's uh, promoting the growth of the bacteria the white stringy bacteria. It's not the waste away, but it, it could be the fuel. It depends on how often you're adding the fuel. And, and that's the problem with any of these fuel products. They're not necessarily bad, but it's, as I've said many times, it's a numbers game. If you've got 90% of the bacteria in the system are the ones you don't want, uh, cyano or sulfate, reducing bacteria, if they're dominating the system, they're going to get most of that fuel that you're adding. It's, it's not like you can, you know, target feed the good bacteria versus the bad bacteria. You're pouring in this material and who's whatever bacteria is numerically superior they're going to get most of it, and chances are if you've got cyanose and uh, sulfate-reducing bacteria, they're going to get most of it, so you're just feeding them and making the problem worse. So I would not be dosing that till you cleaned it all up. All right. I, I think I should maybe correct. I don't, I don't think they're dosing no pox anymore. I think they used to dose no, no pox. And oh, what they're okay. seeing with that whitish slime is something, something similar to what they used to see when they used that. Oh, okay. My apologies then. Well, there's nothing in the waste away unless, well, the waste, the waste away is producing nutrients because it's breaking down organics, which could be feeding these bacteria. So the, the fix is really the same is you've got to clean the substrate. There's just a whole reservoir material there that these organisms are feeding on and growing on. And it, uh, the, the long-term fix is to clean out all that material. Okay, moving on. Question number five. What is the difference between the reef and saltwater eco-balance? A label on a bottle. They're exactly the same. <coughs> Sorry, got a little tickle in my throat here. <clears throat> um, Species-wise, they're exactly the same. They're exactly the same concentration. Uh, we started out with a saltwater version or freshwater version, and the market reality is is there are certain stores and and people on the internet and uh, consumer preference that if it isn't specifically for a reef tank, then it's not safe for a reef tank. Not sure where this got started, uh, but. You can't battle those forces or we choose not to because we have a limited amount of time. So we came up with the the reef version, which is exactly the same. It's just a different label. So you can use interchangeably exactly the same product. Story time. <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> so so when I first started in the hobby and I was trying to pick out a good fish food. Somebody at the store, they were like, well, look at the labels. If you see your fish on there, then it's a good food for your fish. If you don't see your fish on the label, then it's not a good food for your fish. Oh, boy. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so that's that's not accurate. Let's see. Uh, how, yeah. How, how many different species of tropical fish are kept in the hobby? 
a lot. Yeah. So, well, you know, yeah. you think about like the fish food labels that have like like freshwater and saltwater fish, like all in one. I'm like, oh, well, this might has my fish. It also has this other freshwater fish. They have nothing in common. Diets are totally different, but it's got a picture. So we're good. <laughs> yeah. And don't don't forget a goldfish too. put a goldfish in there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you definitely want. I mean, physiologically, there is a difference between freshwater fish, saltwater fish and goldfish. Um, saltwater fish cannot produce what's called hoofus, highly unsaturated fatty acids on their own. Freshwater fish can produce the hoofus from the poofus, which are the highly unsaturated fatty acids from the polyunsaturated fatty acids. And I think I have a talk about this on the website. But anyways, freshwater fish can get all the nutrition they need uh, in terms of their uh, fatty acids from because they can produce both types. Saltwater fish can't. So the diet for saltwater fish has to include both the highly unsaturated fatty acids and the polyunsaturated fatty acids. And goldfish don't have a stomach. They just have a long intestine. So feeding them, you know, inexpensive food that's high in wheat and other binders is just a complete waste of time nutritionally for the fish and will probably lead to the fish eventually swimming upside down, especially if you've got one of the the ornamental type of uh, goldfish. And a lot of people out on the internet want to say that, you know, there's something wrong with their swim bladder. There's absolutely nothing wrong with their swim bladder. The problem is none of these fish, freshwater, saltwater, uh, koi, goldfish, have it the right enzyme, it's called amylase, uh, to degrade glutens, wheat, grains like that. And so this grain gets basically stuck in the intestine and the fish is basically constipated. Bacteria start slowly to break this down, producing a gas that causes the intestine to expand, filling with gas. And that's why the fish floats upside down because the intestines become a little version of a Goodyear blimp inside the fish. And the wives tale of getting them to eat brine shrimp or peas or something that is high in roughage helps clear out. That is true. And it helps clear out the intestine and, and unplug the fish. So then it, the gas deflates and, you know, the fish goes back to its natural shape and can swim again. Don't start poking your fish with needles and stuff like that. You're just going to do more damage. The fish is eating. Stop feeding whatever you're feeding and get it, uh, get some peas um, you know, commercial time, we make freeze-dried peas you can grind in there. But uh, brine shrimp, something high in fiber and no grains. You may start making some of our uh, Dr. Tim's beneficial do-it-yourself freeze-dried, uh, do-it-yourself frozen food. doesn't have any of this grains and stuff. It's That's what's really bad about goldfish food. It needs to be very digestible and low in grains because the fish cannot digest those. All right. Back on track. I like that tangent though. Yeah. Well, yes. I I like talking about food and fish food. So it's it's cool. Well, you know, people, they spend a lot of money on all everything 
And it's like buying a million-dollar stereo system and $10 speakers. It just drives me nuts. Why do you spend all this money and want your tank to look great and your fish to look great, and then you feed them crap, to put it bluntly? Uh, you know, you're going, I'm going to get the cheapest food or, or whatever. Just don't do that. You, you, a good food... Like our frozen food, and yes, I'm doing a commercial, but a good food like our frozen food produces less waste and more of it's digested by the fish, so less comes out as waste, poop, and ammonia and stuff like that. And everything is just going to be a lot cleaner. Your fish is going to be a lot healthier. The colors are going to be much better, and it doesn't cost any more. And all you have to do is put a cup in a microwave for five for a minute and a half and take a little bit of time. Uh, I don't see why that's so difficult, especially with all the benefits you'll get f uh, from it. Oh, yeah. You know, people are like, oh, say it's it's too long to make. It's very quick. Like it doesn't take that long at all. Not at all. And you can make like with our tray, you make 90 cubes. That's a lot of food. And I just want to say as somebody who has gone away like and having people babysit their fish, the beneficial fish food cubes, super, super easy. Like there's no guessing like, oh, feed four cubes. Like it's you know, it's not like a pinch, which could be, you know, four pellets or whatever. It's exactly four cubes. Yeah, it's uh, super, super convenient. All right. Back on track. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, question number six. What is the difference between EcoBalance and One and Only? Oh, huge differences. Uh, so One and Only is 100% nitrifying bacteria. So these are the autotrophic, which means they get their carbon from CO2. They grow very slowly. And basically, there's ammonia oxidizers that do one thing, oxidize ammonia to nitrite, and nitrite oxidizers that oxidize nitrite to nitrate. And that's it. EcoBalance is a mixture of heterotrophic bacteria. Heterotrophic bacteria are a group of bacteria that get their carbon from an organic carbon source. And they can do many things. Uh, they can, can um, they grow very fast so they can assimilate phosphate. They can assimilate nitrate. They can break down organics. Uh, so they can do lots of good things, but these same bacteria in different conditions uh, can produce things that maybe you don't want. You know, in, in anaerobic conditions, they'll do denitrification, but in anoxic conditions, they'll produce hydrogen sulfide. Same, same bacteria cell. Nit nitrifiers don't do that. They don't switch doing, you know, producing something else. Um, and heterotrophs, because they use organic carbon, can double in 20 to 30 minutes, where the fastest nitrifier on Earth can only double in about 20 hours in the best conditions. That's why nitrifiers are never going to cause a bacterial bloom. It's going to be heterotrophs 100 times out of 100 times. Um, so they're just, they're just completely, completely different bacteria. The EcoBalance bacteria produce a bacteriocin, which is basically that's part of the probiotic feature they have. And the bacteriocin 
is a chemical product they produce to inhibit and kill closely related other types of bacteria, um, which w we target by selecting the bacteria that we put in EcoBalance. So we target Vibrios in the freshwater, in the saltwater version, marine version, and Aramonas in the freshwater version. So just 100% com completely different types of bacteria between the EcoBalance and the one and only. I like that. That's a good explanation breakdown of the two. Yeah, I could go deeper, but we're not. And it sounds like a podcast episode. <laughs> That's it. Microbiology 501, the advanced <laughs> version. <laughs> All right. But it, it is interesting. I think anybody that's kept corals... Didn't think I was giving up that easy, did you? <laughs> <laughs> you almost got away with it, but no. Uh, anybody that's kept corals knows that, you know, corals compete. They have warfare. You can't keep this one coral next to the others because they'll, they'll fight and sting each other and things like that. And it's the same with bacteria. They do have competition for uh, surface and for resources, and they have ways of inhibiting or killing their nearest neighbor. Um, so uh, that's what you we we harness that when we're when we're growing these for uh, probiotic purposes. OK, question number seven. All. Hi, I would like to say thank you for making great products that work. Hats off to you. I have been using them for a couple of months for my cyano issue, which is now fixed. Have you guys do you guys have anything to dose like a good bacteria to help the keep the bad bacteria away? Yes, and that's the waste away, which you can do as a liquid, or the whole idea what behind the waste away gels was to make it easy. So the waste away gels are definitely, once you've cleaned up the system, the go-to product of um, constantly dosing a little bit of bacteria into the water to keep away and, you know, out-compete by, by simulating the nutrients uh, and reducing organics so that you don't get the cyanos and dinos and things like that. So definitely the bacteria to use on a regular basis is the waste away gels. Could I also make a plug for EcoBalance? Sure. <laughs> I feel like, I, I mean, I use personally, like in my big tank, I use waste away. I have like the little gels in there, but I also like to use EcoBalance on a fa fairly regular basis. And I feel like between the two of them, like things are good. They seem good at a visual level, not not a yeah, microscopic yeah. level, which I haven't checked, but. No, you'll you'll see it. And, and in fact, if I can take because I got a uh, well, maybe you saw this email um, about this one maintenance guy that has a customer that's constantly fighting dinoflagellates. Yes, actually, part of that is on one of my questions. But if you want to go ahead and address no, that no, one now. No, 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 no. Well, no, we'll tease people and then uh, <laughs> ooh, we'll wait because he actually sent a test samples off to Aquabionomics and they have some results that explain what I've talked about. So, nope, that keep people keep listening. People will give you the answer. <laughs> I don't know when. I don't know the questions beforehand. Hillary doesn't tell me anything before we start. I got to keep you on your toes. That's it. Oh, you know what? I think that question is actually the very next question. <laughs> <laughs> Except it didn't copy the whole thing. Okay. Um, I, well, have, I a... have the email. Oh, go ahead. All right. Do you have the email? It might be easier for you to read it because it only 
it copied like the last part of their question. Right. So this this uh, person wrote and said, I have a client that comes to me for consultation. You know, they do most of their own maintenance and they've been fighting dinos and have been for a while. And I know that part of the problem is very low nutrients and I advise them to correct that. And then they've raised their temperature down, you know, up to 80 degrees and used the dinoflagellate treatment with the waste away and refresh several times. And it helps for a while, but the dinoflagellates uh, ultimately return. And so then a sample was sent off to Aquabionomics and the results came back that said that their system was full of dinos. And but it also said that their system specifically noted a lack of pelagic bacteria, say, which is basically anything that ends in a C-E-A-E is a family. That's the that's the family level of the bacteria. So. Pelagic say is basically bacteria, planktonic bacteria. Their system lacked bacteria in the water. And the question is, you know, would the EcoBalance help? Do you have any bacteria products that c- uh, contain these pel- uh, pelagic bacteria? Uh, you know, and would EcoBalance help create a, a more diverse microbiome? And this is what I've what I've saying is that. Because they have very low nutrients, the system is not able to grow pelagic bacteria, which the ecobalance are, or or and the waste away are. They grow, not not every one of them, but the majority of species in those two products grow in the water column, not on surfaces. We don't want them to grow on surfaces. We want them to compete against the cyanos and dinos, and. My answer to this person was, until you fix the nutrients, you're never going to have a long-term solution. You know, for a little while, you can do our treatment with the waste away and the refresh, and it'll be fine because you're killing back the dinos. But they will invariably come back because the system favors the dinos because of the very low nutrients you can't grow and establish a pelagic community of bacteria. So you're basically beating your head against the wall until you get those nutrient levels up so that you can grow a, 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 you know, a I don't want to say stable, but you can on a continuous basis grow the bacteria in the water column that will then outcompete the cyanos and the dinos. So the dark treatment, the waste away, the refresh cleans the system up. But unless you shift the biology, shift, shift the, the, well, shift the chemistry, you're never going to be able to control the biology. You have to get the nutrient levels up higher to favor bacteria that grow in the water column, or you're just going to be chasing your tail. What's nice about this email is the person did the stu- you know did send some st- um, results out. This is what I've talked about by over skimming, low super low nutrients. All these things we do cause a lack of bacteria in the water column, and that's the heart of the system. You know you 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 didn't get a fish tank to have bacteria in the water column. 
because you can't see them, but you can <laughs> definitely see what happens when you have a lack of bacteria in the water column. That's true. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. I, I've pulled a quote from that answer. Shift the chemistry to control the biology. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's exactly what we're doing. And, and uh, I, I'm trying to th put a way to visualize this for another podcast and we'll go uh, to a whiteboard or something like that because it might be a little easier to understand, put some numbers behind this. But your chemistry is going to determine the biology and you can't fight it. You can't shove that round peg into that square hole. Hopefully not. No. Okay. Next question. I was waiting to do the dyno treatment for my tank when I got back from vacation. I've been letting my phosphate go up and surprisingly, the dinos have almost vanished. Should I still go through with the treatment or should I just use the waste away at this point? I feel like all of these questions have just like perfectly aligned. I did not plan yeah. them in this order. Like they're just on my list like this. <laughs> sure. Subliminally you planned them. <laughs> Unconsciously. Um, I'm not a, a big fan of inner. If the system is going where you want it, let the system go there naturally rather than intervening because you're not you, you're not sure maybe by intervening you upset where you've got the system going you can't always control that so at this point i would add small amounts of waste away on a daily or every other day basis and just see what's happening with that phosphate um, but don't do a radical intervention by doing the complete dark phase refresh and things like that, because it sounds you, you, the writer doesn't mention, but it sounds like the dinos are almost gone. So you're in almost there at the finish line. Let's not change what you're doing. And that kind of brings another aside that there's kind of this natural tendency to, okay, nothing happened yesterday. And, or, or doesn't happen the last hour. We get that. I added your bacteria and the ammonia and it's still there. And that was 15 minutes ago. <laughs> Things take time. Okay. Yes. You, you can't rush this. Nothing um, about aquarium keeping is, should be rushed. Rushed. No. Nothing good can come from it. <laughs> exactly. I've said it many times. Nothing good comes from rushing in an aquarium. So if it's heading in the right direction and you're almost there where things are looking good. The dinos are almost gone. Don't do a big intervention. Um, no, I, w I wouldn't do that. And once it's cleaned up, then consider with the, you know, the waste away gel, something to help maintain it. And look at what you were doing beforehand. What, what's been the history? Did you keep it uh, super clean? That's normally what people do. There's uh, right now on Facebook a uh, you know, chat about, um, I was rapping with Reef Bum last week and I mentioned my thing. I always do. Don't run your skimmer 24-7. You know, turn it off. And uh, the posting person, poster wanted to know if people do that. And a lot of people do. Uh, and they have good results. You know, people that were saying, don't do it. Well, your magnet's going to swell. If your magnet swells up by being off for an hour or two, you're buying cheap filters or pumps with really bad magnets. That shouldn't happen. But um, I mean, and then somebody talked about, well, there's no data for this. Well, there is data. Uh, and you can look at a, 
a paper by Ken Feldman and Sanjay that was an advanced aquarist. And, you know, it's 11 years ago. So what? I mean, science, you know, the, the, the science is still right of what they did in terms of with a flow cytometer uh, counting the number of cells in the water, when they turned the skimmer on, the cells went down. It's, and they didn't do it once. They did it several times. The cell counts dropped drastically. We know skimmers remove bacteria. And if you start removing bacteria from the water columns, pretty much guarantee you're going to start having cyanos and dinos, especially if you combine that with this, you know, these myths that are out there in the internet that your nitrates and phosphates should be, you know, zero. That's less and less people are preaching that, but it's still out there on the internet because the internet never seems to go away. They don't, nobody ever republishes, oh, this is wrong. It just sits there percolates as bad information that gets repeated by people that don't know any better. Um, so uh, just uh, go slow with things. That's, that's the mantra there is uh, go slow. Nice and easy does it. Yep. All right. We've got another dino question. It's a big dino day. <laughs> and all I can think of is like dinosaur costumes. Anyway. Yes. <laughs> um. Hello, when doing the blackout for the dyno treatment with refresh and waste away, do I just block out the sides of the tank or do I need to block out the top of the tank as well? You need to block out the top of the tank, the bottom of the tank, the sides of the tank. You want complete darkness. And I know people freak out on oh, my corals. Your corals will make it. You're only doing this for three days. Unless your corals were super, super stressed for some reason, you're going to be fine. They're, they're going to be fine. You may have gone nuts worrying about it, but uh, they'll be fine. But yes, black it all out. No sun, no light, no sunlight, nothing. And you're just going to have so much better success because the dinos are going to be super stressed because they're photosynthetic. And now we can, we can attack them with the refresh and get them out of there. But long term, got to get the nutrient levels up. Okay, switching gears now. Um, I wanted to try some of your carbon and pick up some other products. My local fish store doesn't carry it. Um, I think this person is in Canada, but they're heading to Seattle and are wondering if there's any of the local stores up there that might carry any of our medias and I guess the best selection of Dr. Tim's products. Uh, it's hard to say we have a store locator. Or um, you, you can buy direct from us at our website and we can ship some, you know, we ship to people's hotels before. They've picked it up there. I don't know of any specific stores. All right. it's, it's always best to check the store located because yeah. we're, we're adding new stores all the time. All right. So, yeah, if, if you're listening to this in time and I'll, I'll try and message you as well, um, go ahead and call those stores. I sent them a store locator, but... Just figured if anybody else is in the same position. Can we ship to Canada or not yet? Oh, yeah. We've always been able to ship to Canada. The problem is it's not cheap. Uh, okay. And uh, then Canada is going to tax you. You're going to get a bill. Um, so the shipping's expensive and you're going to pay taxes. And that's not us that are collecting those taxes. It's Canada. Gotcha. So hopefully this person will be traveling for a while. They can hang out at a hotel and pick this stuff up. We can... Uh, Send it to them there. Yep. 
Okay, question number 12. I'm using Dr. Tim's ammonia to cycle. What dose would you recommend to keep the tank ticking over until I add fish once the cycle is complete? Ooh, well, it's been, it kind of depends on how many fish you're going to keep. You know, people have emailed and emailed all about cycling and adding all this ammonia, and then you finally remember, well, what are you keeping? And they go, a betta, you know, one fish. So cycling for a single betta is totally different than I'm going to uh, bring a bunch of fish in from quarantine, I quarantined them all at the same time, and I'm adding, you know, a dozen fish to the tank on day one. But in general, once the tank is cycled and you've gone through three dosings, as we say in our recipe card, dosing one or two drops of our ammonia solution per gallon every two or three days should be fine. If you're going to dose large amounts before adding the fish, check the alkalinity and the pH because... The conversion of ammonia to nitrite, nitrite to nitrate by the bacteria produces the hydrogen, produces hydrogen ions, which uh, consume alkalinity. And then once the alkalinity is gone, your pH starts to drop. And that's why you'll see in aged tanks or tanks where people have dosed a lot of ammonia that the pH is low. And we're just talking about Seattle. Seattle's Got great water if you want to drink it, but it's terrible water if you're uh, trying to keep fish because it's very soft. So there's not a lot of calcium and magnesium. There's very little alkalinity, which means that, one, it takes longer to get nitrification going because the nitrifiers like hard water with lots of alkalinity. And once it does get going, the pH quickly drops because Alkalinity is basically the buffering ability of the water, which buffering is the ability of the water to accept acid without a change in pH. And the acid is the H ions being produced by the nitrifiers as they convert ammonia and nitrite. There's a whole sequence that goes in there. I did it in reverse. Um, but so Seattle water, the pH will drop quite quickly unless you buffer it somehow, and once the pH gets down in the 6.5s and lower, nitrification stops and the ammonia starts to build up. All right. Good advice. Okay, we are getting down to our last two questions. So this one is, how do I clear up brown, green tinted water? I have a 400-gallon reef tank, no skimmer, a refugium with calerpa. I run three BRS canisters, two with purifier and one with purifier plus. Currently, I'm on my second dose of refresh to deal with a small diatom cyanobacteria problem in the sand bed. Any advice that you have would be greatly appreciated. Thanks. So they got cyano and dino in the sand bed and brown and green water in the water. Um, well, the that uh, uh, algae scrubber, right? Mm. Hillary, you said something about... Let me see. 400-gallon reef tank, no skimmer with a refugium. Um, two canisters, one with purifier and one with purifier plus. Well, I'm trying to... It, I'm, I'm just... I don't know if the... Is it brown? The water's colored brown and green or is it algae that's causing that? It sounds um, like the water is tinted, but yes. I, I could be wrong. 
No, it, that's what it sounds to me. Tinted means it's a color, and that can come from the refugia because um, you're producing a lot of tannins from that. Which are, And the way to get rid of that is through activated carbon is the best way to get rid of that color. For this, you know, the, the algae, well, without a skimmer, see, see what... Because and this is why I'm not anti-skimmer. I'm anti-over-skimming. I'm anti-skimming 24 hours a day. But without a skimmer in this system, there's no way that organics are being exported. And as organics build up in the tank, your water's going to turn brown. The tank's going to smell, and you're going to uh, get a buildup of of algae. So. The 400 gallon without a skimmer, I don't, I don't know. I, I, w- I would put a skimmer on the tank long term because you're just either that or you're going to have to change a lot of water. But you're just there's no organic export from this system, which is what's causing all those issues. The cyanos, the dinos, the brown water, the green water. It's all due to a buildup of organics and activated carbon can't remove all types of organics just like skimming. I mean, there's PhD dissertations that have been done on using skimmers. They can't remove everything. It's a, you got to have a team effort in terms of some activated carbon, some of the purifier product, and definitely some of the um, skimmer. You, you've got to have a skimmer in there because what happens is all this material basically is going to build up in that refugia and start giving off these these colors because that's what it breaks down. That's what those organics break down into. That's why water in your pond or Amazonian water, you know, the Rio Negro, very black because you have a lot of organic material that's being broke down, broken down, and it's coloring the water. So you've got to get some organic removal into that system long term. All right. Good advice. I lied. We have two questions left. So... I started dosing refresh. I've added two quarter doses and got called out of town. I won't be able to dose anything for four to five days. Should I start dose start over dosing again or continue from oh, where I was? Don't overdose. At? Don't don't try to make up time by overdosing. That is just a recipe for disaster. So don't double dose to try to make up for mix missing. Just realize I had to get out of town. Maybe you have to start over, you know, and, but that's going to be a lot safer. Um, I'll never recommend trying to double dose, you know, an overdose to catch up on things. You just start over and go from there. All right. Okay. Our last question is another question um, from Canada. I live in Canada where there's a chance that the product is going to experience freezing conditions. Will this affect waste away at all? It will not affect waste away. The only product that will be negatively affected by freezing is the one and only live nitrifying bacteria. Waste away, equal balance, refresh, clear up, everything else, first defense, aqua cleanse, freezing's not a problem. Don't warm them up by putting them in hot water. Just put them at room temperature and let it let you know the frozen liquid um, slowly come to room temperature and uh, the the ice dissolve. Uh, but if it's one and only live nitrifying bacteria, unfortunately, if it arrives frozen solid, 
the chances are pretty high it's dead. There's no problem trying to use it and see, but it's probably 95% chance or greater that the product is uh, no longer useful. All right. And and when we ship stuff, we can add heat packs to things. I mean, I know Canada's very cold, but I'm sure we can try and accommodate. Right. If you're interested in one and only to Canada, the best thing to do is buy a larger amount and use the FedEx international shipping, which is an option because then FedEx acts as a broker, we, we, uh, which speeds things along. And we can ship in a thermal protected envelope or a styrofoam box with heat packs. That's an extra 1049 charge for, for that. Um, but with the international priority shipping, it's usually a two day instead of if you ship ground, it's at least a week depend depending, but it's, uh, it just takes a lot longer shipping by ground versus FedEx. Um, if it's just a way, the better way to do it, you know, you've got an investment in the bacteria, you're going to have to spend some time, some money to uh, get it shipped up there. Exactly. Precious cargo. Well, just think of <laughs> think of it how you would ship a fish. You wouldn't ship fish by ground to Canada in the middle of winter. Uh, um, no, I, I'd drive and pick them up myself. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> <laughs> From Canada to L.A. to go get fish. <laughs> no, you can get across the border. Oh, yeah. You know. Alrighty. Well, those are all the questions that I have for us today. Is there anything else? Is there a, an info question or anything that I missed that we need to address? Not that I saw. I think we covered everything. Um, and it's almost Thanksgiving, everyone. So have a safe and happy yeah. Thanksgiving. And we've got a lot of neat things planned for uh, December and next year and new products. So stay tuned. Yes. So. If you're listening to this and you have gotten some of the gels since you heard the last podcast, please, please, please take a photo of them somewhere that you put them in your tank and share them to us on social media. We would love to see your photos of the gels in action. We haven't gotten any contest entries for that. I'm kind of sad. I thought I saw somebody that said they'd won a coffee cup, but you never gave me the address of where to send a coffee cup. I feel like the only thing that's come through is the video that I posted putting it in my tank, which doesn't no, count. No, because we just give you all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, everybody. So thanks for listening. And uh, Dr. Tim and Hillary. And stay tuned for another Dr. Tim's podcast. And be safe this long holiday weekend, everybody. Bye.